do baseball this is a history podcast about uh baseball it's about baseball i'm sean and i'm eds and for the next half hour or so maybe a little more maybe a little less uh we're gonna be doing some baseball all right <laughs> i'm getting text messages as soon as it starts that's, that's a good course start. of course all right and yeah we are sharing some stories from uh baseball history interesting stories yeah uh some recent some very old uh about baseball, about our favorite game. Yeah, and uh, one of us has no idea what the topic's going to be about. Yes, and that's me today. Yeah. I'm very excited about that because I'm just going to sit back and yeah, so enjoy uh, this. I hope I be uh, horrified or laugh. Who knows? Mm-hmm. We'll see. Um, I want to start by saying I I chose this topic because uh, it's it's a little bit neutral. It's just kind of a profile on a on a famous player. I feel like our last couple episodes have been a little bit dark. So like. Uh, yeah, just, lighten you know, it up. Lighten, lighten it, up. it up a little bit. Uh, before we start, I want to say follow us on Twitter at Doing Baseball. Oh yeah, and I almost completely forgot. Yeah, we <laughs> just had a long discussion about <laughs> really this. Gotta uh, remember. Yeah, gotta Tell remember. them where they can listen, where yeah. they can follow. All right, yeah, uh, at Doing Baseball, and we're on Podbean. And excited to announce we're on iTunes now. And yeah, check it. Uh, check in. Keep looking around. Uh, hopefully, we're gonna be on uh, Spotify soon. I've I've been searching to see if we're on there yet. We're not on there yet, but maybe by the time this is on the internet, maybe we will be. So you could be listening to us right now. Yeah, you could be <laughs> on listening. Spotify. Oh, that's true. You uh, hear that Spotify? Yeah. <laughs> Approve us. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Are we doing this? Are you ready? 1851. Oh my God. Caroline Radburn packed her possessions in the summer of 1851 and left Bristol, England, with her daughter Sarah, headed for a new life in the United States. Nice. Her husband, Charles, had already relocated to America. Caroline and Sarah traveled with Charles' brothers James and George and his wife Emily and their children. They arrived in New York City on August 22nd, 1851, aboard the ship Mary Ann Peter. All right. Isn't that a folk band? (laughs) No, that's Peter, Paul, and Mary. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) I'm just picturing them crossing the ocean. Mary Ann and Peter. (laughs) (laughs) Singing songs of... Singing songs. I'm sure there were songs sung on that ship. I'm sure that ship was very depressing as well. Yeah, I'm sure. Anyway, well, maybe it was full of hope. Yeah. We digress. (laughs) The families moved to Rochester. There, Caroline gave birth to Charles Jr. on December 11th, 1854. He was the second of eight eventual children. In 1855, the families moved to McLean County, Illinois. Charles and Caroline settled in the town of Martin, while George and Emily settled in Bloomington. Soon, Charles and Caroline and family joined their kin in Bloomington, purchasing a farm on West Washington Road. Initially, Charles Sr., a butcher by trade, worked the family farm where his parents George and Sarah and his brother James also resided. In May 1857, he opened a meat market in town. As a child, Charles Jr. Radburn attended local schools in Bloomington. In his late teens, he worked as a butcher in a slaughterhouse with his father and as a brakeman for the IB&W Railroad traveling to indianapolis and back well that's pretty far back then yeah that's a dangerous trade you know like what butchering or railway back ra- in ra- like the 1850s yeah, railway man it was like testing the, the first brake- no the brake man oh really 
I guess apparently then those were the you had to like run across the roofs of the trains and control each uh the, like the brakes weren't all you stood connected. on top of the train while it was moving yeah you're and just... they were like stop this train exactly and then you had to like run and control the brakes for like two or three cars apparently so people died all the time all the time all the time yes okay yes. falling off the trains so, falling between the trains so. so what charlie radburn charlie radburn was yeah. as a teenager was a brake man all right so he saw some shit. Yeah. So he's 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 a tough customer. Radburn loved to hunt and play baseball. He strengthened his arm as a teenager by repeatedly throwing the ball against a barn on his family's farm. By 1874, he was playing baseball for the Maine Bloomington Nine, earning extra money on weekends and holidays. He also played some games as a ringer for the Illinois Wesleyan University. With the Bloomington squad, he predominantly played third base. His older cousin Henry was the pitcher. Nice. So wait, well, I mean, eight, eight. His, his. Uh, he was one of eight children. So was yeah, a, a I know. Well, family. that was what I found a little bit weird about throwing the ball against the barn thing. I'm like, where's everyone else? Like, yeah. no one to play catch with. That's a fair I, point. Yeah. Where was everybody? Maybe he was just crazy and just was that guy that would just whip the ball every time, and his younger brothers were just like, screw that man. Well, he it turns out he's kind of an angry fellow, so. <laughs> In 1876, a game-fixing scandal rocked the Bloomington team. On September 1st, the Reds lost to Springfield 4-1. Radburn went 1-4 for and committed 5 errors in left field. In total, the club made 14 miscues, 10 of which were between the left fielder and center fielder Gleason. Hmm. The Bloomington Pantograph wrote, quote, The amount of betting that was done was considerable. Gamblers Edward Stahl, Edward Fifield, and Jim Connors were present, taking as many wagers as possible in favor of Springfield. At the end of the contest, a shouting match took place between the gamblers and fans, as many suspected that the contest was set up. Henry Radburn entered the fray, confronting the three men and accusing them of offering bribes. Later that night, in fact, three players, Gleason, Roach, and Flynn, were seen at Connor's hangout having, quote, a jolly good time on the gambler's dime. Yeah. So wait, that was his cousin that accused him, though, right? That was that was his cousin that came in and accused yeah, the yeah. gamblers. Yeah. So this is like... So there's just gamblers in the stands, yeah. like, like a taking tie bets and kickboxing match, just much, just yeah. taking bets before every. That, that, that all right? That, that's what this implies, anyway. All right. Later, the Pantograph interviewed Charlie Radburn. He admitted to drinking heavily the night before the contest and to having a conversation with two gamblers at Shouston's saloon. "Quote," he says. He had a talk with these two, but cannot remember distinctly what the talk was more than that it was in relation to throwing the game. After the talk, Radburn went over to two butchers in the saloon and told them about the talk. The butchers say that Charlie told them that Stahl and Connors offered him $25 if he would throw the game. He does not deny that he may have said that he would take the money, but being drunk was not responsible for his words. <laughs> He just do the drunk. Just, he pulled the drunk card. He was like, I'm just saying, I was but drunk. I'm also so drunk. Yeah, <laughs> I might have said I'll take the money, but I was drunk, so I'm not responsible for the things that I may or may not do. It's always a good excuse. Yeah, Henry Radburn also at the bar backed his story. Stahl approached Charlie again in the morning before the game, offering seventy-five dollars total to the two Radburns and catcher Sue Allen. Quote: Charlie having refused the offer told this at once to Henry Radburn, who also declined. On September 3rd, the stockholders met and expelled Gleason and Roach from the club. 
Flynn was exonerated, as was the inebriated Radburn. <laughs> so they were like, ah, he's drunk, that's okay. <laughs> I wish that was still an excuse. Yeah. Sometimes it is. Yeah. Look, I was drunk. Yeah. According to the historian Baseball Magazine, Charles and his childhood best friend Bill Hunter, a pitcher for the Bloomington squad, were taught to throw the curveball by future major leaguer Dave Rowe, who resided in, in Illinois during the mid-1870s. The new pitch, quote, effectively launched Radburn's career in the box. Nice. Al Spaulding regaled all audiences with a description of his first meeting with Rad during an exhibition game in Bloomington around this time with his Chicago white stockings. Radburn believed his co- relieved his cousin in the contest. As he warmed up, the Chicago players chuckled because the reliever twisted his body to face second base before delivering the ball to the plate. The original Al Duque. Yep. Spalding acknowledged that their smiles soon dissipated as Radburn sent one batter after another back to the bench. Badass. Yeah. In 1878, Radburn joined the Peoria Reds, a barnstorming team, as right fielder and change pitcher. Change pitcher? Change pitcher. So when they changed the pitcher, he was the pitcher that they changed to. Let me explain. All right. No substitutions were allowed at the time, so if the starting pitcher became ineffective in the late innings, the change pitcher, usually playing right field, would exchange positions with the starter to try to save the game. Interesting. Radburn was paid $40 a month for the three-month period from July through September. At times, Peoria played exhibition games against National League clubs, racking up wins against Milwaukee, Chicago, Hartford, and Boston in the process. In 28 games, Radburn batted 299. Not bad. I like that they're just the right fielder. That like basically yeah, it makes sense that it would be the right fielder, you know, yeah. like with the strongest arm, you know. Well, I guess. Yeah, no, I just yeah, no. That was just, yeah. <laughs> that, just like, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> why do they just why does it have to be the it doesn't matter. This it doesn't. Is, but what year? Just, this is like the 1880s, right? 1878. Okay, yeah. yeah. So this this is just yeah. Yeah. Pure just there's some weird shit going on. Yeah. It happens. Yeah, you'll I, see. On April 1st, 1879, Ted Sullivan, one of the game's foremost organizers, formed and ran the Northwest League, which consisted of three clubs from Illinois, Davenport, Omaha, and Rockford, and one in Dubuque, Iowa. Sullivan took steps to set a salary structure for the Northwest League and clearly subordinated the league to the National League, which to some say it establishes it as the first legitimate minor league. Huh. Sullivan ran the Dubuque team, which was financed by Iowa's U.S. Senator William B. Allison and future congressman and Speaker of the House David B. Henderson. Before the season began, the Milwaukee National League team lost its charter and the club's best players en masse joined Rockford. Sullivan countered by signing many of the Peoria players, including Radburn. Charles was paid $450 for the season, playing second base, the outfield, and change pitcher. In one game on May 23rd, he made an incredible 15 putouts from second base. On August 4th, he defeated the Chicago National League squad 1-0. Cap Hansen later recall, recalled, quote, In my 15 years as premier batsman of the game, I never faced a patcher, pitcher who baffled me more completely with his curves than did Radburn on the occasion of that memorable game in Dubuque. I do not hesitate to say that not one of the old school pitchers or any of the later slab men could equal the famous Radburn. 
<laughs> speaking like a true <laughs> diplomat. Yeah. I didn't a know diplomat, they but were, also very humble. I, I am the premier batsman. I am the game. premier batsman, and I just would like to say, definitely has one of the wildest curve pitches we've ever seen. It is baffling. But all the best to him. He is wonderful. That year, Dubuque was one of the top clubs in the country not associated with the National League. The club ran away with the Northwest League pennant. Rad played in 47 games, placed 72 hits for a 337 batting average, and scored 31 runs. By December, he was negotiating with Buffalo in the National League. Okay. Quote, yesterday, Mr. Charlie Radburn received a letter from the secretary of the Buffalo Baseball Club asking for his photograph and his record as a baseball player made last season. Why do they need a photograph? I don't know. <laughs> Actually, I think I might know. <laughs> no, they would. It's, Why? Well, because of racism. <laughs> <laughs> just looking at it like, oh, no, I don't like that. But like, I, I just don't understand. Wouldn't a photograph be like kind of hard to come by back then, too? Yeah, it's not like yeah. it's just like, take a picture with your phone. There's a fun fact that I'll tell you later on, and that's it probably has to do with the fact that photography is a very new thing at this point. All right, all right. Anyway, uh, photograph and his record as a baseball player made last season. Also to state the lowest salary for which he would play in the Buffalo Nine during the coming season. He answered the letter, and in all probability, an arrangement will be made during the next week. The Providence Club some weeks ago offered Charlie a place at $800 for the season of 80, but he declined the offer. It was in the the, panta- the pantograph. Okay. Well, he was playing for like 450 before. Yeah. So they offered up his salary to 800 bucks. So he said no? He said no, apparently, so they're implying that Buffalo is going to pay him more. All right. Uh, during spring training in 1880, Radburn strained his shoulder and never pitched for Buffalo. Damn. He made his major league debut on May 5th in Cleveland, batting sixth and playing right field. He went one for four, but Cleveland romped to a 22-3 victory. Unable to pitch, he was released after six games in May, three at second base and three in right field. Rad returned to the slaughterhouse in Bloomington, believing that his baseball career was over. Oh. Too bad. <laughs> over the winter Is it? He, yeah. Over the winter he received several telegrams with baseball offers but ignored them. In January 1881, Bill Hunter, his childhood best friend, yeah. answered a telegram from Providence pretending to be Radburn and yeah. agreeing to join the club in the spring for the same money offered by Buffalo the previous year. Hunter then borrowed money from his father to send Rad to Hot Springs, Arkansas to get into shape. All right. True friend. Yeah, really wanted his buddy to play. Yeah. Uh, he also got Providence to advance 100 bucks to cover the expenses. Somewhat reluctantly, Radburn embarked on his major league career. I just want to also, like, that's Providence, Rhode Island? Or I believe is it, so, yeah. Or is it, like, why does he need to go to Arkansas? To I don't, to I don't know. <laughs> just, would you, we need to send weird. him to Arkansas. I thought that's, that was weird, too, yeah. but anyway. <laughs> it's just, it's a plot hole. It's, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Officially signed on February 7th, Providence finished in second place nine games behind Chicago that season. All right. Charles Radburn, at 5'9 and listed at 168 pounds, entered baseball during the underhand pitching era. Jesus Christ. <laughs> There's some evidence that he threw overhand at least occasionally, as noted later. He was what was then known as a strategic pitcher. In short, he used whatever assets he had to get batters out, not predominantly relying on speed. Not to say that he wasn't a hard thrower. He was indeed. He threw a rising fastball, screwball, sinker, slow curve, 
and something Ted Sullivan described as a dry spitter. A dry spitter. A dry spitter. <laughs> it's like he spits on it, but he doesn't. But he doesn't, you see. What do you call that? <laughs> a dry spitter. <laughs> yep. He tossed the ball from varying arm angles, possessed great control, and changed speeds constantly. He was perhaps the most resourceful of all 19th century pitchers, something he passed on to fellow Bloomington resident Clark Griffith. Per Ted Sullivan, whom considered Radburn the greatest of all pitchers, quote, from the time I met Rad, he was continually, he was continually inventing a new delivery and trying to get it under control. He had a jump to a high fastball, an in-shoot to a left-handed batter, a drop ball that he did not have to spit on. That's the dry spitter. <laughs> the dry spitter. <laughs> and a perplexing slow ball that has never since been duplicated on the ball field. Yo, can, can we start a band called Dry Spitter? Dry Spitter, sure. Sure, we can do that. When he let fly with the high fastball, he threw it so hard he actually leapt off the ground. The Cleveland Herald believed the key to his success was the changeup. Quote, a skillful change of pace is the most valuable item in a pitcher's work as Radburn's success due chiefly to it proves. See, that's the beautiful, that's like still relevant to this day. Yep. Like, if you have a good fastball changeup mix, then you're you're probably going to yep. have six. That, that, I don't know. Mm-hmm. That's crazy. I love baseball. The so-called drop <laughs> is either a ball started at the shoulder and slanting in its course like Hugh Daly's or a skillfully delivered slow ball dropping naturally through lack of speed such as McCormack and Radburn's use. The Topeka State Journal described his technique, quote, Charlie Radburn gets his curves without the use of his body. That's an extremely strange <laughs> sentence. Yeah, it's very ambiguous. <laughs> Having long fingers, he can get a firmer hold than most men, and then he never depends on wide curves, preferring to keep them so a batsman will hit out and get the ball on the end of his stick or close to the handle. So he's like a contact pitcher that uses off-speed shit. Yeah. It's fantastic. He's like yeah. Kyle Hendricks of his day. Yeah. It's, it's sweet. Yep. Yeah. He tried anything to stack the deck in his favor. As the Milwaukee Sentinel confirmed, quote, Radburn was the first pitcher to introduce stepping around the box before delivering the ball. He also tried to work on a new wrinkle by making the ball hit in front of the plate and bound over. Okay. Yeah, I guess he was... Why, would yeah. that be a strike? I don't know. Well, it says it was legitimate, <laughs> legitimate, but the umpire would not allow it. So, oh, like, so it was basically like, well, it's it crossed the plate in the strike zone, and the umpire was like, fuck that, man. No. It bounced. Fuck that. Yeah. It's like horseshoes. Hit the wood. Doesn't yeah, count. yeah. I mean, it makes sense. Who was Flatty Senior hit? Had a yeah. He hit a few. Of those. Yeah, yeah. I remember. Anyways, he wasn't above pitching around the top batters to face light hitters. In fact, it was a common ploy. A Washington Post article in 1883 claimed that quote Radburn, pitcher of the Providence Nine, can pitch either right or left-handed. That's all right. In the era of no gloves. The batter wouldn't know which hand the delivery was coming from until the pitcher went into his windup. Jesus. That is... That's tricky. Yeah. Yeah. There's rules against that now, but Jesus Christ, that would be... (laughs) I'd fuck you up. Yeah. A former infielder and outfielder, Rad was known as one of the top fielding pitchers of his era. He also controlled the pitch selection and gave his own signals throughout his career. All right. Even after it was common for catchers to give most of the signs. So he would be like, (laughs) just, he would be making the signs to the catcher. I guess. And then throwing the ball either left-handed or right. I wonder if he like emphasized which hand it's going to throw. He like winked with like one of his like two eyes. (laughs) 
Typically, he only signaled for outside pitches, mainly the curve. Rad practiced with an iron ball, throwing it underhand to develop arm strength. He also tossed long to get his arm in shape before taking the mound. He babied his arm, soothing it with hot towels and getting frequent massages. All right. Smart. Yeah. He became the team's primary pitcher in 1882, pitching 466 innings and going 33-19 and 19 with a 2.11 earned run average. He led the National League with 201 strikeouts and six shutouts and was second best in wins and ERA. The Grays fell only three games short of the championship. On August 17th, he played right field versus Detroit. There was no score for the first 17 and a half innings. In the bottom of the 18th, Rad hit a home run over the left field wall against Stump Weedman to Jeez. claim the victory. It was the first walk-off homer in Major League history in a one nothing game. Really? In the 18th inning? Yep. That's insane. Surprisingly, we- by today's standards, the contest took only two hours and 40 minutes. How? I don't understand. How? I don't understand how they played 18 innings. That's impossible. It, well, it says right here on well, this card. Well, it was 0-0. Yeah. For, like... That entire time until he hit the home run. So, like, but, like, two hours and 40 minutes. I mean, uh, that's less than Burley's perfect game. Well, if everybody's just hacking up there, right? Like, but, like, uh, that, that would be, that's, yeah, that's ridiculous. The American Association challenged the National League monopoly as a major league in 1882. By the end of the season, quite a few National League players were dissatisfied with their contracts. The AA seemingly was offering bigger paydays. In October, Radburn signed with the St. Louis Browns of the AA. Several other National Leaguers signed with association clubs. In response, the National League threatened to blacklist the jumpers. Most, including Radburn and other Providence players, re-signed with their old clubs. In 1883... He pitched 632 and a third innings. No, that's insane. And led the league in wins going 48 and 25. His well, two- the thing is now, like, now that I realize he threw with both arms, like, is that as insane or is that like somebody throwing 300 innings? Like, I don't think he, like, you know, like split no, equal I know time he did, between both arms. But, but at the same point, like, it's just, it does take a little bit of, but, like, at this, at, that's an insane amount of innings. Like, mm-hmm. It's, it's, uh, and this guy had gone through a shoulder strain or whatever it was when he thought, I don't know. That's, that's wild. His 205 ERA and 315 strikeouts both ranked second in the NL. <laughs> After the season, Radburn joined Sullivan on a barnstorming trip through the South. The roster included Buck Ewing, Charles Comiskey, Tony Millane, and Pete Browning, among others. In November, it was reported that Rad signed with Providence for $2,000. As the Cleveland Herald put it, quote, Radburn has signed with Providence for about half of the $4,000 called for. Obviously, he wasn't happy before the new season even started. Mm-hmm. When, well, fuck. He's getting like half of what he's supposedly worth. Yeah, I mean, he doesn't seem like a guy that's really good with money. No, saying, no. Who knows? But at this, I, it's just when Providence baseball failed, players back then, like I don't know, he turned down double, and now he's getting less because he left because he wasn't. Anyways, mm. continue. When, when Providence failed to win the pennant in 1883, the franchise was on shaky financial ground. All right. Ownership brought in a new manager, Frank Bancroft, and made it plain: win the pennant, or the team would be disbanded. Oh, so we got a fucking major league situation yeah. going on right here. <laughs> yeah. Win the whole fucking <laughs> thing. The whole fucking thing. Yeah. All right. Radburn's disgruntlement with his salary spilled over into spring training. 
21-year-old Charlie Sweeney entered the 84 season as Providence's other main starter. He pitched the lion's share of the games in the spring and was paid extra to do so, which antagonized Radburn, who also didn't care for the gushing plaudits that were being heaped on his young colleague. He was apparently very vain, uh, Charles Radburn. Once the season began, Radburn took his place in the rotation. For the first time, the National League allowed pitchers to raise their arm above their shoulder. Jesus Christ, what a development. Effectively legalizing the overhand delivery. The ruling sparked a great deal of controversy throughout the summer and into the following winter. Many feared that pitchers had gained too great an advantage. Through June, the pair started all but one of the club's 47 games, with Radburn starting 24 of them. Sweeney, perhaps sore from the new overhand pitching style, fell out of the rotation on June 27th. Radburn was forced to fill in, starting and finishing 10 of the next 12 games. Well, only... So... So they were like, well, if he lifts his arm too high, yeah. he's going to have too much of an advantage. And then they just like expected guys to just do this that like hadn't learned to pitch that way mm-hmm. at all. Mm-hmm. But Radburn was so... Radburn was the man. Well, he so. would just he pitched so many different ways already, right? Yeah. And I, I don't even understand quite what his delivery was like. Because mm-hmm. they're like, he's twisting, he's curving, and then but he's throwing underhand. And like, I wish we could see it. Yeah, I know. Uh, Radburn wasn't happy about it, especially considering he didn't receive extra cash as Sweeney had during the preseason. Son of a gun. It's obvious that Sweeney and Radburn were having some sort of running feud, though, as Rad had pitched that many games straight at least twice the previous season without complaint. After a loss on July 12th, a local newspaper, the Providence Journal, described the pitcher as, quote, acting careless and indifferent. It seems he was drinking heavier than usual during this time as well. Well... He just gets drunk. It's yeah. not his fault. It's not his fault. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. On July 16th, he lost to Boston 5-2 after becoming erratic and seeding a couple runs in the 8th after being called for a balk. Providence management immediately suspended him because of poor play. Cyclone Miller started the next two games and Ed Conley the following. Sweeney relieved in two of the games and wasn't pleased about being pressed into action. The team wanted Sweeney to pitch on the 21st in an exhibition game in Woonsocket, Rhode Island. He wouldn't, and the club scrambled to fill the role using three pitchers, including their backup catcher, Sandy Nava. Sweeney did start the next day against Philadelphia. With a 6-2 lead after seven, manager Frank Bancroft pulled Sweeney merely to give him some rest and sent him to right field. He refused to go, cursed his manager, walked off the field, dressed, and left the grounds. It seems Sweeney was doing a bit of drinking himself, okay, which added this, to his sour attitude. This Sweeney kid is, yeah, yeah. But he's hurt. Like, yeah. maybe they should have more than four pitchers on the team. I don't even think they have four. <laughs> well, they had, yeah, I guess they only had really three, but... They're just using other dudes as Well, that's pitchers. the thing, right? Like, they Providence. the same guy pitching 600 innings a year. Yeah. <laughs> so Sweeney dips. Providence, with only eight men on the field, yielded eight runs in the ninth and lost. Jeez. That night, Sweeney tied one on again and refused to report the following day. Providence immediately expelled their only legitimate eligible starter. Sweeney apparently had been in consultation with the St. Louis Club of the Union Association, who happened to be playing in nearby Boston. Not coincidentally, he soon joined them. All right. 
So Radburn offered to start every game for the rest of the season in exchange for a small raise Jesus. and exemption from the reserve clause for the next season. Oh, so basically he's just like, give me more money, I'll fucking save your asses. And let me leave. And let me leave after it's all done. Yeah. I mean, that's, uh, I forget what I said before. He sounds like actually like, you know, he has leverage here and he's using it. Yeah. He, is, he is a smart guy. His requests were granted. His salary was raised substantially. In essence, Radburn was paid the salary of two pitchers for the remainder of the season. As he fucking should. Fearing that he was also... yeah, fearing It's amazing he, how things don't change yeah, in a hundred yeah. years. Fearing that he was also in consultation with Union Association, management gave him $1,000, according to newspaper accounts. In so total, yeah. he made upwards of $5,000 in okay. 1884. All right, yeah, he's fucking... Doing what? Wait, they just gave him a thousand dollars to be like, no union, and no union stuff. Like, yeah. Oh yeah, like, thank okay, you for yeah, the thousand yeah, dollars. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> All right. Of the remaining fifty-one games, Radburn started forty-one of them. All right. In those starts, he put up an eye-popping thirty-five four-and-one record. I don't know what the one is. I guess they they tied. They tied back, back then. then. Yeah. Okay. But it's insane because they went to eighteen innings. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> when did they decide that it's a tie? <laughs> Just like oh god. Like 30 we'll innings? We played two games. Yeah, That's well, it. it yeah. only took two and four. Yeah. <laughs> I guess they probably just, they probably actually just played until it got dark. Yeah. That was probably the That's stipulation. Probably, yeah. Yeah. was like, if it gets too dark, we don't have lights back then. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, they had light. Anyways, let's not An get into the history yeah. of electricity. Yeah. <laughs> An eye popping 35 4 1 record, virtually single handedly driving the club to the pennant. Okay. He won 18 straight from August 7th to September 6th, a new major league record, including an incredible 14 victories in August. He started all but one game between August 9th and September 24th, amassing a record of 24-4 and four during that span. That August 7th victory put Providence in first place permanently. To be sure, the daily grind took its toll on the pitcher. Bancroft, who roomed with Radburn in 84, later declared, quote, his showing was all the more remarkable and phenomenal when one knows that this pitcher suffered untold agony in endeavoring to attain the goal for which he worked so hard and so pluckily. Morning after morning upon rising, he would be unable to raise his arm high enough to use his hairbrush. Jesus. Instead of quitting, he stuck all the harder to his task, going out to the ballpark hours before the rest of the team and beginning to warm up by, by throwing a few feet and increasing the distance until he could finally throw the ball from the outfield to home plate. <laughs> so he's just a he's a like how old is he at this? He was born like eighteen fifty four. He'd be like he'd be thirty at this point. Oh, yeah. Okay. Radburn finished the season with a league leading six hundred and seventy eight and two third innings pitched, right. which is a record. Yes, obviously. I would I would assume and so. seventy three complete games. Yes. Uh, and he won the Triple Crown with a record of 60, a league record. Yes. Uh, 60 and 12 and a 138 earned run average and 441 strikeouts. Okay. After the regular season ended, the NL champion Grays played the American Association champion New York Metropolitans in an impromptu 1884 World Series. Radburn started each game of the series and won all three of them. Sick. While allowing just three unearned runs. The New York Times commented, quote, the curves of Radburn struck terror to the hearts as they fell easily as victims of his skill. <laughs> he seeded two hits, and quote, one of these is doubtful. One of these is doubtful. <laughs> so it was a, it was a little squibber? Or I like... guess. 
possibly just, an just error. Just or possibly an error, yeah. As promised, Providence offered Radburn his release after the season, but they also extended him a new contract, a lucrative one. He slept on it and signed the next day. Apparently, all the ill will had melted away. Part of his motivation to stay in the Providence area was a budding relationship with Caroline Stanhope from Newport, Rhode Island. All right. Related to Doug Stanhope, I'm sure. I'm, I'm imagine so. <laughs> For the 1885 season, in an attempt to limit Radburn's dominance, the National League implemented regulations forcing pitchers to keep both feet on the ground at the time of delivery. What the fuck? Ostensibly, well, the rule I guess was. That, I guess that is, is, is they you land and you, yeah yeah. So but what? So people were jumping. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. It says he leapt off his feet when he threw the fastball. Oh yeah. So he like yeah. kind of like like okay. Yeah. I I see the motion. I we're talking about. So you'd like push and jump almost mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. to get that extra like oh no wonder his arm fucking hurt yeah <laughs> anyways ostensibly the rule was instituted to protect base runners from tricky pickoff moves by pitchers in truth though it was none too subtle it was a none too subtle slap at rad who used a little hop during his delivery to get some extra oomph on the ball okay it proved highly unpopular and impractical and was abandoned after a month into the following season oh, okay Radburton turned in a solid, if unspectacular, season in 1885. In 49 games, he posted a 28-21 and 21 record with only 154 strikeouts. Providence dipped as well, finishing in fourth place with a sub-500 record and 33 games out of contention. Yeah, that's, uh, yeah, that's pretty shit. Yeah. Rad butted heads with management once again at the end of the season. On September 11th, he was hit hard, giving up 15 hits and three wild pitches in a 9-1 loss to New York. The club directors suspended him for, quote, indifferent work. Said Radburn, quote, I tried to pitch the best I could. As the New York Times noted, quote, that wasn't good enough for club management. Director Ned Allen said that all his players would be summarily dealt summarily dealt with in the future and he would compel them to play good ball or they would not play at all. Man. Rad down re- the hammer. Yeah. Rad remained suspended through the rest of the season. Ah, shit. In truth, the suspension may have been financially motivated, oh. a cost-cutting measure, because soon after the season ended, Providence disbanded. Oh. Formally, the entire roster was transferred to league control. National League executives fought over the talent. President Arthur Soden of the Boston Bean Eaters claimed Radburn and catcher Con Daly. Rad worked another solid year in 86, pitching in 58 games. After a bit of dickering, he signed with Boston for about 40... dickering? Dickering. Okay. Yeah. What does like negotiating? Okay. Dickering. We're a bit of dickering around. All right. They're dickering around. They're dickering back and forth. They're yeah. uh, you know. Yeah. They're so they dickered. So they dickered to a point of uh, a forty-eight hundred dollar payday in November, the highest figure in the game. All right. Good for him. Radburn was still going strong in '87, hurling in fifty games. His dominance was clearly waning, though, as evidenced by his mere eighty-seven strikeouts. Mm-hmm. After doing so every year prior, he wouldn't fan 100 batters again. His meager strikeout total in 1887 can also be explained by the fact that for that year only, four strikes were required to retire a batter. <laughs> so they're just fucking it's, around. They're just it's, throwing the shit entire, about, like, yeah. it's, a, it's amazing his success just given how much baseball was just like such like a chameleon. Like, it's just like, well, we can just do this or we can just mm-hmm. go, well, actually this year we'll try this. We'll try four maybe, strikes and five balls. Maybe someone can throw overhand this year. No jumping, though. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> 
His innings pitch would also drop significantly after 87 as well. Uh, Radburn became universally referred to as Old Haas by the newsmen in 1887. I was waiting for that to yeah. come up. The nickname denoting his status as the team's workhorse may have been used before this by his teammates. Because it was also apparently rumored that uh, his teammates all like told each other that he was a Civil War veteran, even though... <laughs> He was. He, he was would like only, an eleven. He, at yeah, the time? he would have been like ten at the yeah, end of the Civil War. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's like, like if you look up some pictures of old Hoss Radburn. Yeah, he looks like a very surly. Oh very no, surly dude. We've already... And that's one of the fun facts. I'll just mention it now since we're talking about like pictures of old Hoss Radburn. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's supposedly the first person to have been photographed giving the middle finger. That's amazing. He's giving the middle oh, finger to the, a New in York the, Giants in uh, the, teammate yeah. in that team photo. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So I was gonna say, yeah, there's a team photo with him. We're, oh. Yeah. That's amazing. That has to be the picture for for this. Oh, for sure. (laughs) The year ended on a sour note. On September 6th, Rad lost 10-4 to Philadelphia. He walked five batters and bounced a wild pitch in the first inning. In total, he had seven base on balls, two wild pitches, two errors, and hit two batters. Mm -hmm. Uh, So because of that, Soden didn't feel the need to play the travel expenses of a lackluster pitcher, in his opinion, that is. So he suspended Radburn for, quote, careless and slovenly play. Or as another newspaper put it, quote, chronic poor play. We have been played for flats long enough. Radburn is paid over $600 a month to play ball. That sum ought to be enough to make him keep in condition to pitch good ball. I do not know whether it is poor condition, unwillingness, or what it is, but he has been doing the very worst of work. Today's game was the culmination point. If he cannot do any better work than he has done recently, he is not worth what we pay him. Of course, his suspension would also save the club the salary that Snowden spoke of. So the the club just was able to just be like, not even like cut them because of the the, the, the reserve clause, reserve but, clause. It was just like, ah, oh, you're suspended. Yeah. Well, what does that mean? Well, you're not playing for us and you're not getting paid. Yeah. It's like we still own you though. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Terrible. That's fucked up. The suspension lasted ten days before Snowden relented on the fifteenth and summoned the pitcher to meet the club in Pittsburgh. Rad was none too happy to find his paycheck docked $200 for the time off. Son of a bitch. Bastards. Yeah. In November, Soden publicly offered Radburn a mere $2,000 for 1888 with an incentive clause offering $100 for each victory. Which, when you think about it... Oh, yeah, if he has like 50 wins, yeah. that's like $5,000. It's like $500. The pitcher cut off contact with the club, openly stating, quote, they have driven me out of the business. You will never see me in another game of ball. Oh. So he starves off. Yeah, he storms out. In January 1888, he purchased a half interest in a saloon and billiards parlor at 214 West Washington Street beneath the Windsor Hotel, the largest hotel in Bloomington, renaming it Radburn's Place. All right. At the time, it appeared that he would quit the game. The Daily Inter-Ocean chimed in with its assessment of Rad's remaining potential on the diamond. Quote, his days of usefulness are about at an end. Radburn's effectiveness lies in his command of the ball. He formerly brought the ball from over his head, but has given it up entirely as it injures his arm. Yeah, he's fucking used up. He's just done. Yeah. The fact is, though, Radburn was still a useful pitcher and had been through this time an innings eater. The Boston club needed him to compliment John Clarkson on the mound. April came and still no word, still no one heard from Rad. 
In the middle of the month, Soden declared, quote, We have heard absolutely nothing from Radburn. So far as we know, he is still in Illinois and may remain there. Boston management was equally stubborn and demanded that the pitcher join the club or face blacklisting by May 1st. All right, so wait. They suspend him and they send him home. I know. They're just and he's dicks. like, fuck it, I'm done. I'm opening a bar. And then they're like, come back, you fuck. Or you can come back or you can't play. Like, <laughs> I, it makes no sense. All right. Behind the scenes, though, the club was capitulating. They matched his salary from 1887, $4,800, and returned the $200 under contention. All right. It sounds like the management was just horrible. Yeah. Like, just hor- Like, just send that guy home. We don't need him. And then... You know who we could really use? That guy we sent home. <laughs> Pay him his money. Yeah. On April 17th, no wonder he like just called their bluff all the time yeah. and stayed home. <laughs> it sounds... It's it's just it's just messed up. Yeah. Baseball at this time was like just a mess. On April 18th or on April 17th, Radburn agreed to join the rejoin the team. Okay. Boston fans and especially his teammates were thrilled to have old Rad back. The club held a ceremony upon his revival on his upon his arrival and gave him a gold-headed cane in appreciation with the inscription quote presented to Charles Radburn by the Boston Baseball Club May 11th 1888. So he gave him a golden cane. Yep. I can't, I the, the MLB that should have been like a staple just like every any any relevant player that retires gets a golden cane from the MLB. He's not retiring, should but it's able- a really fucked up gift to give like an able-bodied person mm-hmm. a cane. On the 16th, he pitched his first game a 2-1 win over Chicago. On June 27th, he allowed only one hit in a 13-0 shutout of Washington. Radburn's showing in 88 wasn't a success by any measure though. In 24 games, he won only 7 of 23 decisions. In December, he signed for another season in Boston. Radburn rebounded in 1889 to post a solid 20-11 record in 33 games. The year was contentious, though. He had always had an issue with the management and their dominance in player relations during that era. Yeah, it doesn't sound like the prior relations were good. (laughs) In truth, he had a problem with authority figures, managers, owners, and umpires. He saw himself as a victim of the reserve clause, knowing full well that he would have made substantially more money if allowed to play in New York during his Providence days. I think that should just be he was a victim of the, yeah. <laughs> of the clause. He was not, wasn't he thought he was. He definitely was. He also felt the wrath of management in their indiscriminate use of suspensions and threat of blacklisting. Yes, also it, fucked up. Yeah. In short, he was acclaimed as one of the top pitchers in the game, perhaps the greatest of the 19th century, and he was still treated poorly, in his opinion, by the businessmen that ran the game. In truth, that opinion wasn't far from reality. No. (laughs) No, it was not. Radburn was a strong supporter of Monty Ward's Players Union, the Brotherhood of Professional Baseball Players. That's awesome. On November 13th, Rad departed on a barnstorming tour again with many of his Boston teammates, organized by Chicago executive Jim Hart. He was one of three pitchers along with Clarkson and Hugh Daly. King Kelly met the men in San Francisco. The union with some financial backers had established the Players League. Kelly was placed in charge of the new Boston franchise. He signed quite a few of the men to Players League contracts by the end of the year, including Radburn. The Boston club, led by Kelly, Radburn, and Dan Brothers, captured the pennant by six and a half games over Brooklyn. Rad chipped in a 27-12 record in 41 games, his most since 87. Unfortunately, the Players League only lasted one season. 
Radburn struck, stuck with King Kelly, who was hired to oversee the Boston Club and the American Association. Kelly was then put in charge of a new Cincinnati franchise in the AA. Mm-hmm. He quickly sped off on a recruiting trip, stopping in Bloomington to ink Radburn. Kelly left after signing the pitcher, but received a shock when Rad signed with the National League Cincinnati entry on April 10th. Oh. He was wooed by manager Tom Loftus, his first professional skipper back with Peora, for $5,000 and a promise that he didn't have to pitch on Sundays. No, that's good. He was promptly blacklisted by the AA. Oh, well. Which was of no consequence since it was his final season. Anyway. Exactly. He's like, what, like 36, 37, 38, somewhere in there. Yeah, what is it, 87? Yeah. Yeah, he's 33 he's, or something like that. He's fine. Radburn was shelled in his first outing on April 25th. One of his worst performances as a professional. He lost 23-7 to to Cleveland, seeding 26 hits and 6 walks. By July, Rad was seriously contemplating retirement. He took his turn in the rotation on August 11th, or took his turn in the rotation until August 11th, which proved to be his last major league appearance. For his career, Radburn completed 489 of his 503 starts, for a 309-195 one-loss record, which included 35 shutouts. He tossed a no-hitter and seven one-hitters, still a record for the National League pitchers. Rad asked for and was granted his release on August 23rd. Cincinnati signed Ed Crane as his replacement, and Old Haas officially retired at age 36 to tend his saloon. All right. At the time of his retirement, he was said to be worth 25000 dollars in real estate and bank stocks did you see how much that would be nowadays no i should have looked that right, up. i'm looking that up okay right now uh, a significant sum for that era he spent countless hours hunting and fishing passions he had indulged since childhood he was skilled with a rifle by an early age and was a renowned field shooter as an adult once issuing an open one thousand dollar challenge to any and all comers even national champions he lived with his longtime girlfriend carrie stanhope who he met during the time in Providence, and she insisted in the running of the Bloomington Saloon, especially after an accident on April 13th, 1894, when Rad was accidentally shot in the face by his friend while hunting. Jesus. (laughs) (laughs) But he lived? Yep. He had stepped from behind a tree when his friend was firing a shotgun. Radburn lost sight in his left eye and received considerable damage to his face, including partial paralysis and some speech loss. Once a big, strong, good-looking athlete, his disfigurement weighed on him the rest of his life. Yeah, getting shot in the face will do that to you. <laughs> yeah. Also, I, I found it's about twenty-five. It's about seven hundred and fifty thousand now. So like, not too bad. So like, not like enough money that you're good, but like you. That's why he still got the bar, right? Mm-hmm. He's, mm-hmm. He put it into something to try to make consistent yeah. money. Yeah. The ex-pitcher's waning years were unpleasant. Because of his face and ill health, he became somewhat of a recluse at his apartment. He suffered from the effects of the paresis of his eye and other ailments and drank heavily. During at least his last year, Radburn had severe cognitive troubles, perhaps brain damage from syphilis. Or being shot in the face. being shot in the face. (laughs) He was also subject to convulsions and abnormalities with his nervous system. On February 3rd, 1897, Radburn suffered another convulsion, which ultimately left him in a comatose state. Mm -hmm. He never woke up, dying at age 42, around 2 p.m. two days later, at his residence in the Windsor Hotel. He was buried at Evergreen Memorial Cemetery in Bloomington. The local newspaper kindly described him as, quote, a great favorite in Bloomington. He was a sociable, humorous, good-natured man and a charming storyteller. 
In 1839, he was elected to the National Baseball Hall of Fame in his proper slot among the first group of inductees. Nice. Throughout his lifetime and well into the career of Cy Young, Radburn was hailed as, quote, the king of the pitchers. He had an easy underhand motion from which he delivered a variety of pitches from varying arm angles. He was one of the first to truly dicker. He dickered. With his delivery day in and day out to keep hitters off balance, a trait expanded upon by Clark Griffith and Eddie Plank at the turn of the century. Radburn was a tireless worker who didn't seek the limelight. As one observer noted, he, quote, never worked the press or catered to the grandstand and was, in fact, so indifferent to applause or criticism that people who didn't know him well regarded him as surly or capricious. (laughs) Year after year, he just took his turn in the rotation and produced what many of the era considered the finest career of all the hurlers. Nice. Yeah, so that's... Uh, that was Hoss, it? That was a long Hoss one. Rap. That was a long one. That was like 48 minutes. Oh, wow. All right. No, but, yeah. I, uh, Do you want to hear one more fun fact? Sure. We Why not? We, we've out? come this far. Uh, the legacy of Old Hoss remains as it is speculated Radburn might be the namesake of the Charlie Horse. <laughs> a painful leg cramp, not unlike that from which he suffered. All right. Yeah. So that that's it. So like he he was the one that like I got a Charlie. <laughs> My leg hurts. Yeah. Oh, Charlie uh, and his fucking. He's got a horse in his yeah. leg. Yeah. <laughs> Feels like I got kicked in the leg by a, a horse. horse. Uh, Charlie horse. That's Charlie a, horse. I I think the most like the most interesting thing, other than like the parallels that the. You know, obviously baseball then to now, but like the whole labor thing and how he was just like, oh fuck it, it's like so like and and how he was able to work his way around that system mm-hmm. somehow when he like was able to find leverage, he could he he used it and yeah. was able to switch teams. Like it's, I don't know, it's like uh, well, it's insane that baseball took a hundred more years to like get like a labor union and, mm-hmm. and stuff like that. After well, I mean they were played in the union league for a little bit, but that didn't last. But yeah, <sighs> well, it's funny that he like used his leverage to get himself removed from the reserve clause and then at the end of it all just ended up not using it because he was like well i like this yeah well i mean but at least he used it right it was like more than but still like 600 innings pitched and just like i i want to know how you throw an underhand curveball Mm -hmm. i mean that would be someone should do a story on that all right well until next time all right yeah till next time i'm i'm sean and i'm eds (laughs) and we were doing some baseball uh that was uh charlie radburn Follow us on Twitter. Follow us on Twitter. Yeah, doing baseball. And uh, listen to this, which you're doing. Okay, bye.